You're listening to another hope-filled podcast from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifenz.org. About, I don't know, maybe 18 months ago, we were going on holiday to Pawanui. We got the chance to take a few days off. And uh, as is per the custom in my household, I pack my bag and Amanda packs everything else is basically how it works. So on the morning morning of, uh, my job is to pack the car. Can I suggest that I've definitely got the harder job of taking everything she's created and trying to fit it into our car? Come on, husband. Can I get a little bit of love here? Like, like I'm taking ba- as fast as I could take them from the kitchen, she's replacing. Like, I'd take one and it'd be replaced by two. I'm like, babe, we're going to Pawanui for five days, not migrating to Iran. Like, honestly. We don't, do we need all of this stuff? Uh, come on, who's guilty? You pack 27 outfits for a holiday and wear two. Come on, who's guilty? Let's flip it. How many wives, your, your, your husband is the culprit here. Come on, give me the, Amanda will be putting her hand up over there. Put your hand down. Put down, put your hand down. So, so anyway, so I'm packing the car and as I'm packing the car, I'm like, Babe, we're not going to fit all this. She's like, yeah, you can put it under the feet of the children. They've still got small legs, and there's like a little compartment there. You can throw it in there, and come on, let me know what I'm talking about. And, and as the car's getting fuller and fuller, I'm like, I don't even going to be able to fit the children, let alone. So, so we get the car packed. Like, there is not one square inch of room left. Like, we are packed to the gills. We're done. And Judah comes out and goes, Dad, what about my bike? I'm like, dude. It's you or the bike. Who am I taking? I, don't, I mean, he's like, yeah, but dad, my bike and my scooter. I've got to take my bike and my scooter. I'm like, you may have half a shot at the scooter. There's not a hope on the bike. Because if you think I'm now going to put a bike rack on the back of the car and do it all, no, no, it's not going to happen. He's like, dad, what's that? What, what's that? We can leave that behind. I'm like, it's all your food. <laughs> okay, what about that? Dude, that's your blanket and your bedding. Okay, okay. What about over there? What's that? That's your sister's blanket and bed. Leave that behind. Get that out of here. <laughs> so I'm like, dude, we just can't fit it. And then he looks at me and he goes, but dad, you promised. I'm like, oh, wow. Like the wild card of all wild cards. All right? And then I remember that last time we were in Pawanui, we found this bike track. And this skate park. And I said, hey, bud, next time we come down, we can bring your bike and your scooter. Make, there's a message in that. Make sure that the promises you make in summer, you're willing to fulfill in winter. Just make sure there's a message in that right there. So, so here's the deal. So, so I'm like, okay. And, and in my home, my kids know that I will try, I will move heaven and earth. If I've made a promise, I will fulfill that promise. So out comes the bike rack and we leave an hour later because I'm missing the Allen key or I can't find it. Come on, how many know I'm talking, the pain I'm talking about or the bungee cord's broken so I have to work out how to strap it all together and then the bikes are rubbing and ah! Right, so, so eventually we get there and, and we get to Pano and have a great time. Here's the deal. Do you know when Jesus left this earth, he gave us a gift that was called Eucharist. You know, that if you've been in church for more than 12 months, you've taken Eucharist. Look at you. It's called communion. So the other, so just, just to put you at ease, we're not feeding you stuff you don't know about. Um, but the other word for Eucharist is thanksgiving. 
And Jesus instituted thanksgiving and he says uh, when he, he was sitting around having a meal with his disciples and he gave the gift of communion. And today I thought as I was preparing this, what an amazing thing to do. The second week after we can meet again is to remember what Jesus has done. Not keep looking at what we've just been through, not looking at the challenges we've got ahead, not looking at what's going on in society and focusing everything on that. Let's take a moment to push all that to the side and bring Jesus front and center once again. Remember what he's done. See, when Jesus was reclining with his disciples, after breaking some bread and handing it out, he said to this, as often as you do this, remember me. Picked up a loaf of bread, broke it. As often as you do this, re remember me. And if you're anything like me, I spent most of my Christian life at that moment when we take communion, thinking about what Jesus did on the cross. Thinking about his sacrifice. Thinking about the fact that he gave up his princely position and took on the form of a human to create a bridge between broken humanity and a loving God, thinking about the fact that he took on all of my shortcomings and all of my transgressions and he chose to hung on a cross to die a sinner's death that I should have been on and he died as me so that I could live as him, which is what Jesus, and my mind goes back to that of, of what Jesus did and that is great and that is wonderful and we should do that because that is the crux of the gospel. The gospel is the fact that Jesus gave his life so that I could get life. That is the gospel. But can I suggest that there's a double meaning to that? That as often as we do this, we need to remember that our Father in heaven has not forgotten the promises he's made us. So it's about me remembering Jesus but it's also about remembering that God hasn't forgotten the promises that he's made you. God's not like me packing for Pawa Nui that has an epiphany and goes, flip, 18 months ago, I, I promised that. He knows. And if you're in the midst of challenge, there are promises he's made you. If you've got sickness in your body, there are promises that he's made you. If you've got fractured relationships, there are promises that he's made you. If you're in turmoil on the inside, there are promises that he's made you. And communion is about not just remembering a dying Savior on the cross, although that is the crux of what we believe. Communion is about remembering that we have a Father in heaven who does not forget the promises that he has made us. As often as you do this, remember me. You know what I discovered? That the Jewish people are carboholics. Like they aren't into keto. They have bread for breakfast. They have bread for lunch. They don't believe in this whole let's have no carbs after 2 p.m. They have bread for dinner. That when Jesus picked up a loaf of bread and said, as often as you do this, remember me, he wasn't thinking that once a month on a Sunday morning, the Jewish community would get together and remember what Jesus has done. His thinking was that at breakfast, they would break bread and remember him. That at lunch, they would break bread and remember him. That at dinner, they would break bread and remember him. How different would our life be if three times a day, we did something that would remind us that God made promises and he hasn't forgotten that there is a Savior who is looking towards us and His eyes are on us and His passion is for us and He loves us regardless of where we find us. What if three times a day 
we remembered him. Uh, we live in the 21st century. How many know that there is a lot in my life? Like we pack a lot into life. There are so many details of life. Let's start with mortgage or rent. We live in Auckland, so it goes for a long time. <laughs> Let's start with kids who we're trying to raise and instill a God foundation in them. Let's say, what about the relationships and the friendships that I think in three weeks, man, I haven't called that person and I love them. I've got to, come on, anyone know what I'm talking about? What, what, what about the fact that we're called to reach our society? What about the fact that you have children and have a seven-year gap? Not talking out of any type of personal frustration at all. That birthdays go on for three flipping decades. For 30 years, you're at school and ballet and football and soccer and braces. And come on, how many know what I'm talking about? And then you add in there things like social media. That's going to go a long time. Netflix. Just the details of life. And then what I try and do is I fill my life with details and then I try and remember him after I've filled it with details. I remember what Jesus did on the cross. I remember his word. And then at the end of the day, I, I, I kind of forget. I've got no room left for the Holy Spirit because I've filled my life with so much stuff that he kind of just gets left on the side because I'm busy deal. Is any of this stuff bad? It's not bad stuff. It's like, welcome to life. Welcome to doing life in an urban city in the 21st century. There's all that stuff, except probably the social media. So get off it right now. If you're on social media, turn off right now. Talking to you. We had this young guy stay with us over lockdown who will remain nameless, Mitch Rainbow. And um, his average daily screen time was 10 and a half hours. Should have given that kid more jobs. So, so we fill our life with stuff. Can I propose that what we put in our life first really matters? As often as you do this. Because if I put Jesus first, and if I wake up in the morning and put his word in my life first, why? Because that's religion and that's what the church expects? No. Because that's what I anchor my world and my life in. And without his world, without his word, corona makes no sense. Without his word, my hope is in a anti-vaccination to come so that we can get through this. Without his word, current events of our world don't make sense. But with his word, I realize that God is still in control, that my father still loves me, that he has a plan and a purpose. I was looking, I, sorry, I talked to a lady in before our first service and she works in the hotel industry industry. She has lost her job because of what's gone on with Corona. But she said every morning I'm getting into his word. Why? Because I've got to put first things first. I've got to anchor what is as often as you do this, remember me. And if I can get the order right, what happens when I get the order right is all the other stuff of life then finds its level and it fits in my world. Why? Because I have put him in there first. Sorry for whoever has to vacuum. What if we were to put him first? Hebrews 4 verse 14 says this, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly 
to what we believe. Oh, church, if there was ever a cry from heaven for let us hold firmly for what we believe, not what is currently popular, not what is the current uh, societal issue, not what is corrupt. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. And out of that, we address all that. Th those issues are very real. We can't just bury our head in the sand. However, let us hold firmly to what we believe. And through what we believe, all these other things make sense. And you can turn seas into highways. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. How refreshing is that? This high priest of ours understands. So many people run from Jesus when their weakness comes to the fore. The greatest thing we can do is run to Jesus when our weakness comes to the fore. For he faced all the same testings we do. Yet he did not sin. Let us come boldly into the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. Not a bony finger of judgment. There we will receive his mercy. And we will find grace. Why? To help us stay where we are? No. To help us when we need it the most. To continue to move forward. I love what the Passion Translation, how it puts it. It says, so then, we must cling in faith to all we know to be true. For we have a magnificent king priest, Christ Jesus, the Son of God, who rose into the heavenly realm for us and now sympathizes with us in our frailty. He understands humanity, for as a mere man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way, just as we are, and he conquered sin. So now we come freely and boldly where love is enthroned. You know what the answer to our world is? Love. You know what the answer to your school is? Love. You know what the answer to the current challenges that are across the globe is love. If we would be a church that doesn't just sing about love on a Sunday, doesn't just hear messages on love, but embodies who Jesus is and takes it into our schools and our workplaces and our neighborhoods and wherever we are, and we show love because we've been into the throne room where love is enthroned to receive mercy's kiss and discover a grace that we so urgently need for us in our time of weakness. I've called this message the gravity of gratitude. The gravity of gratitude. Because grat gratitude has a gravity. We'll be attracted to what we are grateful for. In fact, my whole message in a sentence is what we are grateful for, we will gravitate to. What we are grateful for, we are gravitate to. Jesus said, as often as you do this, remember me, thinking that three times a day they would pick up a loaf of bread and remember. What if three times a day we remembered Jesus and who he was? I wonder if we'd gravitate more towards his plans and rather than fear. I wonder if we'd gravitate more to what he wants rather than me having to work it out myself. You know that in 25 years of working with people and 19, nearly 20 years of trying to parent to the best of my ability, I have discovered there are two types of gratitude. There is a passive gratitude and there is an active gratitude. And I don't think there's a whole lot of ungrateful people. I think there's a whole lot of people who we can learn to express our gratitude a bit more. Well, we, we, I don't think any of us are in danger of being too expressive with our gratitude. But we can step up and be expressive with our gratitude a bit more. See, passive gratitude keeps me where I am. Active gratitude creates a gravitational pull to get close to the very thing that I am grateful for. You know, 20, 
three, four years ago. Jeez, I'm old. 24 years ago, Amanda and I were at Bible college. And at the particular Bible college we went to, students weren't allowed to date. However, three weeks into our first term, we met each other and sparks flew. I mean, seriously, can you blame her? We, we... <laughs> oh, I'm going to pay for that. Um, three weeks in, we, we met each other and we're like, man, there's something here. So we go to the principal at the time and we tell him and he's like, hey, you can have all the feelings you want, but if you act on them, you're out of here. Oh, awesome. That's cool. Um, she, he said, however, I do think that there's a touch of God on your relationship so you guys can hang out as much as you want in groups. I've got to be honest with you. I was so grateful that we could at least hang out in groups that I gravitated to things that I would never be involved in in any other circumstance. Like she was in the worship side of things and, and back then the college we went to didn't own its own building so it was bump in and bump out and the Bible college students on the worship side, not the leadership side that I was in, the worship side that she was in would have to get up at five o'clock in the morning and meet at the venue to bump all the stuff in and bump all the stuff out. It's amazing how, how all of a sudden I was motivated to pick her and her friends up at 4.45 in the morning to drop them to the venue so that they could bump in and bump out. Well, I went to McDonald's and got coffee and bought it. What 19-year-old guy puts his hand up to say, I'll be up at 4.45 on a Sunday. I'll tell you, someone who's grateful to be around the presence of a beautiful woman, because what you are grateful for, you will gravitate to. What if that wasn't just a cute little dating story, but a Christian story? What if we got a little more grateful for who Jesus was, and we set an alarm on our phone, that three times a day we stopped and said, Jesus, thank you for what you're doing. I wonder if we would gravitate more to what he's doing in that moment rather than trying to come up with our best intentions ourselves. Because what we are grateful for, we will gravitate to. We're going to take communion in a couple of moments, and I want to give you two things that I'm grateful for when it comes to communion. Number one, I am grateful that my part in this relationship with Jesus is to accept his love for me not try and prove my love for him. A relationship with Jesus is about me accepting his love for me rather than me trying to prove my love for him. Accepting his love helps me to be continually more grateful for it. And it helps me to gravitate towards it every day. I love the story of the Last Supper that we started this whole message with where Jesus was hanging out with his disciples and in that moment, uh, Jesus made a statement that shocked everyone in the room. Oh, before we read the, the, the scripture, I want to ask you a question. What is your posture when you're shocked? Like when stuff comes from left of field, things that you didn't plan, things that weren't on the horizon, stuff that you didn't think was going to happen, didn't anticipate happening. What's our posture when we get shocked? Because I think we can learn some things from two disciples and the different postures they have. Let's have a look at the shocking statement first. John 13, 21. When Jesus has said these things, he was troubled in his spirit and he testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed, shocked, 
about whom he spoke. I love what John's response is. John, in verse 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 23, says, Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, someone who had positioned himself close to the heart of Jesus, one of his disciples. And this disciple Jesus loved. Do you know what makes me laugh? Is John wrote this. Like John's writing in the third person. Like, hey, just let me tell you about a guy who Jesus loved. Moi. (laughs) Simon Peter therefore motioned to him and asked whom if he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, John said to him, Lord, who is it? I love John's posture. When he gets shocked with some news that he didn't see coming. When coronavirus hit them in the upper room. When there was talk of job loss or marriage wasn't going on. I love what John's posture was. He metaphorically and physically leaned into who Jesus was. And God, let that be my response. Let me, in moments where I don't understand what's going on, let me make a decision to lean into who Jesus is and let me rely on my closeness to my Savior, not try and take things into my own hands. Because conversely, Peter, in verse 13, verse 36, then Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you shall follow me afterwards. Listen to what Peter did. So John, remember, John's leaning into Jesus, leaning into his closeness, leaning into who Jesus is to him, leaning into the relationship he has with Jesus. Peter says, Lord, why can't I go with you now? I will lay my life down for you. I will follow you. I will do what you need me to do. Peter's response was not to lean into Jesus, but to lean into his own strength and to begin to try and convince Jesus of how much Peter loved Jesus rather than resting in how much Jesus loved John. And the answer to our world is to lean into a Savior who loves us and who is for us, not to try and convince him that I got this, I'll do it for you. And all the cholerics in the room didn't say amen. (laughs) Peter's posture was to try and convince Jesus that Peter loved Jesus so much he wouldn't let him down. His dependence was in himself to prove his love and commitment to Jesus, which ended up in him actually denying him three times. You know what's amazing to me is John was at the foot of the cross while Peter had gone back fishing. Because when we rely on our own strength, we go back to what's comfortable and known and what we can control. When we face doubt and despair and things we don't understand, it quickly shows us what our baseline is. Do I turn to what I can achieve and what I can see possible? Or do I turn to the character of my Savior who loves me and is for me? And he has the ability to do the impossible. When we fail to live out of the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me, we begin to choose the manageable over the miraculous. What can I manage? What can I fix? What can, no nudging of any spouses and making it all awkward at this moment. Because we all fall into that from time to time. 
Communion reminds me that it's about Jesus' love for me, not proving my love for him. Ben, come on back and join me. Secondly, I'm grateful that it's his love that fuels my, my obedience, not my obedience that fuels his love. I'm grateful that it's his love that fuels my obedience, not my obedience that fuels his love. Being grateful that it's in his strength and not mine helps me to gravitate and resting in his strength rather than trying to recreate strength myself. And I reckon in this time and in this season, after everything we've been through for the last 12 months and to be honest with you, everything we're going to face in the next two to three months. One of the greatest things that we can rely on is that my obedience is fueled by his love. It's not my love that makes his, it's not my obedience that makes his love conditional. And if you've been in church for a little while, maybe you've been in a different environment. Maybe it's a bit more of a religious environment. It's amazing how religion puts the wrong emphasis on the wrong thing in the very same sentence that can bring freedom. In John chapter 14, Jesus speaks and says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. And even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask anything in my name and I will do it. So that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Listen to part, this part. If you love me, You'll obey my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. The one that Johnny was talking about. He will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Here's what religion says. If you love me, you'll do my will. Religion says, well, if you really love Jesus, you do what he says. If you really love Jesus, you wouldn't be doing that. If you really love Jesus, you wouldn't be thinking like that or having those moments where you lose your cool with your kids, where you don't respond in a right way to a friend, where you have a thought process that is anything but something that honors God. If you really love Jesus. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, if you just fall in love with me, it'll fuel you to do my will. If you just get close to me, you want nothing more than to do my will because you'll love me so much and there'll be such proximity that you won't want to do anything to jeopardize that proximity. And in fact, you love me so much that you want to be like me because you want to be like the very thing that you love. If you just fall in love with me, it'll empower you to do the will that I have for you and you'll move into all that I have for you. This amazing lady over here, in December, we'll celebrate 22 years of being married. And I've got to be honest with you. If I don't do what she says, she beats me. That's why I wear long sleeves. Honestly, scars on my back, 22 years worth. It's rough. 
Not at all. You wouldn't find a sweeter lady in the world. But can I tell you? Hasn't been all easy 22 years. Trust me, I've made sure of that. When I, when I bring me into anything, it, does, it becomes easy to not easy real quick. But I'm more in love with her today than I was 22 years ago. As I discover the God in her and the depth of what God has placed in her and the gifts and how she's wired and how she can walk into a room and have empathy and feel what people are feeling and the wisdom she brings to our home and the ability that she has to look at our kids and know that my deal of, well, one size fits all, they all should just do this. Well, no, they don't all do that because they're different people. So let's carve out a pathway that is individualized for each kid and let's see them flow. And that all, as I see her walk into, I love her more and more and more every year that we are married. You know what that results in? Me wanting to please her more and more and more every year of our life. Why? Because I want that proximity and that closeness and I I want us to be in unison and in sync. Why? Because I'm afraid of her? No, because I love her more and more and more every single year. You know what your God wants you to do is not obey Him because you're afraid of some guy in the sky, but to fall in love with Jesus and then you'll hear what He wants you to do and you want to be like Him. Why? Because I love Him so much. I want to live the life that He's called me. I want to treat others the way Jesus would treat others. I want to talk to others the way Jesus would talk to others. I want to respond in hurt the way Jesus responded in hurt. Why? Because I love Him. And He loves me. And it's His love for me that fuels my obedience to Him. You know what communion reminds me? Is he loves me. When I preached this message in Central, this older gentleman, after one of the services came down, he was, I don't know, he must have been mid-70s. Tears in his face. Because I've been in church all my life. And I've lived a life that is afraid to get anything wrong because I would hate for God to think I didn't love him. And I've lived uptight my whole life and watching everything I do, not because of a place of freedom, but out of a place of fear that if I mess up, God would think I don't love Him. But I've discovered today that actually if I just fall in love with Him, it fuels my ability and my commitment to do what He's called me to do. Friend, today as we take communion, host, come and distribute communion. As we take communion, I'd love for us to remember And be grateful that ultimately communion is about my part to accept His love, not prove my love to Him. That communion is about, look at me. I know Brett's got cycling legs and shaved and all that sort of stuff, but don't look at those. Look at me. I'm grateful that His love fuels my obedience. Not my obedience fuels His love. Do you know that ultimately I'm grateful because no one but Jesus could accomplish everything I walk in now. Only Jesus could take up the cross. Only Jesus could conquer death. Only Jesus could be raised from the grave on the third day and turn my graves into gardens. Only Jesus could love me so fully knowing how much of a muppet I am from time to time. 
Only Jesus could set purpose in my life and eternity in my heart. There is no one like Jesus. And let's take a moment to push everything that is not central aside, not, not, not important. What's going on in our world is important. You wanting to move forward in life is important. The relational issues you have are important. The financial challenges you're facing are important, but can we take a moment and take them out of center stage and put Jesus back in the center of who we are? Because I believe that when He is the center, everything else fits and everything else makes sense. Why? Because it's not about my ability. It's about His goodness and about what He has done to create a pathway forward. The Bible says this, your word is a light unto my path where I'm going and a lamp unto my feet the next step. If you're anything like me, I wish sometimes that that lamp would show me the next three or four steps. But I think God knows if I saw the next three or four, I'd be overwhelmed. He's like, hey, I got you on the next three or four. Just take the next one. What's the next one? Maybe the next one for you is to literally, during communion, take out your phone and set an alarm for 7 a.m., 12 p.m., and 7.30 p.m., and three times a day, stop life. Go, Jesus, thank you. I want to focus on you in this moment. If you're in school, you have my permission. If your alarm goes off in the middle of class, say, my pastor told me I could do it, and then do the detention yourself. But... Do something that creates a a breaking bread. As often as you do this, remember me. Because your job is to accept my love. Because out of that, you'll be fueled for my will. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifenz.org.